Well, welcome to Fountain Springs Church. If this is your first go at church, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It's going to be good. Uh, if it's your first go, at least being with Fountain Springs Church, we're, we're glad that you're here. You may not know where to go yet, and, and, and you're not sure when you're going to be asked to stand up or sit down and all that, but I want you to know that we're glad that you're here. Uh, we are one church that meets in multiple places, and I know it seems weird, but, but it's okay, so let me describe this. I want to give a special welcome to the fellas at RCMU. We are so glad, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, fellas, we're glad that you are Fountain Springers. We are going to be involved in your lives, and we're pumped for what God's doing in your life. Uh, if you don't know about RCMU, it's Rapid City Minimum Unit. It's a local prison here in town. It's a minimum security prison. And there's fellows there that we call Fountain Springers. So every Sunday morning, all the fellows there gather up, and we get to speak to into their lives, and they get to sing together. It's absolutely incredible. This very message they'll get to hear. Now, in two weeks, just two weeks, two weeks, we think what you got to do the next two weeks. You're like, I don't want to, but think about it. Next two weeks, in two weeks, we're going to launch another location. The East location. So for those of you who are gearing up and you're going, am I going to go? I don't know if you're going to go. you got to make that decision. But if you want to be nosy, you don't even have to be nosy anymore. There's a sign up. It's obvious. Go across from the fairgrounds on Center Street. And there's a building that's been renovated. It has Fountain Springs signs on it. For, you're, just so you know where it's at, okay? Now I'll show you pictures as we go through this. But we are one church, multiple locations. And it's going to be a blast. So two weeks. Be praying. If you're like, well, I might go and think about going. If you're staying, stay, do whatever you want to do. But two weeks, two weeks, two weeks. If you're not freaked out about that, I am. So it'll be a lot of fun. So we have, as a church, though, been going through what's called the filter series. Here's the summarization, summarization of this. Listen, listen. You and I see life in a certain way. Some of you, it's your experiences that determine everything. Some of you, it's how you were raised, who raised you. Some of you, it's where you work and what you do for a living. Some of you, it's your environment at school and your friends. But you and I see life. We function in life and have filters that we see people with. You may be like, well, do I really? Yes, you do. You and I do. We see, we see people based on experiences, based on what we've been taught. So we as a church have been opening that up and saying, well, how should we see people? How should we see life? So I want to go there and finish up the whole series, but I want to open up by talking about a group of people that every time I read this story, I've shared this story in the past, it wrecks me. I read it and, and it does something to me. Here's the story. This is a true story. About 100 years ago, 100 years ago, none of us were alive. Facebook was not going on. Al Gore had not invented the internet yet. Okay. About 100 years ago, there's a group of people this group decided that the world needed to know who Jesus is. So the way to do that was you had to physically go tell people them. You couldn't call them up, couldn't put anything on the internet. You had to go literally to them and share with them in person, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. This group of people decided they were going to go all over the globe, go to places that not everyone goes to. They went to foreign places, places they didn't even speak the language yet. They're going to have to learn the language. So here's what they did is they built themselves a box. Each one built their own box. They took the stuff that they owned, not very much of it, but what they owned, what they could take with them. They put it into the box, sealed the box up, and most of them got on boats. And those boats took them to the locations that they would end up going. The title of these people later on historically was given to them. One-way missionaries. One-way missionaries. If you're not reading between the lines, meaning they're not coming back. One way. 
where they were going to go, they were going to stay forever. Now, in some of these instances, they were going to stay and they would be martyred, killed for what they would share with folks. In fact, one particular guy went by the first name of A.W., if you remember that era when everyone went with their initials, A.W. went to a place that all the previous people that had gone to this place had been killed. As soon as they started to talk about Jesus and God, they literally would kill that person. So he raised his hands like, I'm going there. Someone was like, you're nuts. So he decides to leave. He packs his box up and goes, now you need to understand about this box. This box also doubled as a coffin, a casket. I'm not using that metaphorically. I'm being straight up with you. They built their own casket that they would be laid to rest in. They put their stuff in there at first and went with them because they were not coming back no matter how good or bad it went. A.W., in this instance, went to a place that killed people who spoke what he was going to speak. I'll fast forward. I'll go to the end. He dies 35 years later. We don't know how. We don't know why other than we just got to say God did it. They didn't kill him. They decided they didn't want, were going to kill him. They listened to his message. The end of the 35 years that he spent there, he died of natural causes. And as you and I know, you and I don't get to choose what's actually etched onto our tombstone. You can hope and maybe tell your family something, but I can tell you what was etched onto his tombstone, etched on it by the people that he went to show who Jesus was. They etched on it. And they put in summary of what they etched on there, before he came, there was darkness. After he left, there was light. I mean, most of us right now, if I said, hey, who wants to be a one-way missionary? There's a bus outside. Everyone just right now, get your stuff and go load up on the bus, and you're going to go to the four corners of this world kind of a thing, and you're going to go to a place that you might die, and you're never coming back. Say goodbye to your family. Say goodbye to Netflix. Say goodbye to all of it. Most of us would be like, sign me up. Most of us would be like, you'd look down and pretend like you didn't see me and I didn't see you. That's how most of that works. That's intense, right? But while you and I may not be able to relate to that kind of a lifestyle in the sense of going to a foreign country, you and I can relate to the characteristics of a one-way missionary. When I talk to you about that, you should begin to have adjectives and different words flooding your minds of maybe words like tenacity, grit, devotion, sacrifice, love. I mean, the big words that you and I would say, wow, that is extreme. That is unbelievable nearly. But there are character traits rooted inside of there that if you will press them into your own lives, well, everything changes. See, now, now listen to this because some of us are like, well, I'm not supposed to be a one-way missionary. Go off to somewhere. But, but, but listen, some of us who call ourselves Christians now, if you don't call yourself a Christian, you're like, you know, I don't do that thing. Maybe you don't even know the words. You say, I'm a follower of Christ. Or, or maybe you don't even use those words. If you believe that Jesus died for you, then rose from the grave for you, and that you have forgiveness of sins, you have also taken a hold of words like tenacity, grit, devotion, sacrifice. I'll show you. In the Bible, it unfolds for us a pretty potent and powerful scripture. Mark says this, love the Lord your God. Okay, we get that, right? But how? With all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. If you don't understand this, you're like, basically, with the same character traits that one-way missionaries use to live life. 
So let me just press into your life and, and, and maybe just think internally, is this you? If you call yourself a Christian, you're like, yes, yes, I follow Jesus. I, he is my Savior. Are you loving God with tenacity and grit and passion? Is it leaking out so much and deciding some of the things that you do in life? I, let, some of us are like, man, I, I want it to. In fact, many of us, I think, would say, you know, I want to follow Jesus and be a part of my life where it's devoted to Jesus, but I'm not sure how to get there. In other words, what the gateway is. How how do I actually get to that place? You have to make a, a monumental decision. I'll tell you what the monumental decision is. You have to decide if you're going to be led by preferences or convictions. That's one of the biggest decisions you make in life. I mean, this is what we teach our kids. For those of you who have ever raised kids or got grandkids or anyone around you, if you've ever led people, you're a boss or a leader or a teacher, you understand this, that <clears throat> most of us are born uh, relying entirely on preferences. What do you want to eat and where do you want to go and when do you want to go to bed and all that kind of stuff. And, and preferences drive us. And I'll tell you, if you want to live a life that has so much significance that it impacts not just you but the people around you, you will press into your own heart Are you going to be led by preferences or convictions? This is a big, big topic. Now, Jesus, I talk to you about Jesus all the time. Jesus was led with conviction. I'll read it to you. And this is in Luke 19. For the Son of Man, Jesus, Son of God, came to seek and save the lost. Now, if you're missing this, you're like, I'm not, okay, so Jesus came to earth. In other words, he left heaven. Now, you and I have never been to heaven, but I hear it's amazing. So he left heaven, but why? Was it it to show off? No. I'm not trying to be crass, but you got to press in. Was it just to show off and say, hey, look at me? Was it just to admire the creation? No. For Jesus came to this earth to seek and save the lost. People who didn't know who he was and didn't follow him and didn't know that he was a source of hope. That's powerful. What's leading you? Just internally answer that. What's leading you right now? What leads your days? Convictions or preferences? Now, Jesus didn't just come and show us. He gave us a story, a story that you and I can actually own and identify with, a story that that we can actually resonate with. And so he gave us this story to help you and I grab a hold of how to live life. And if it's ever been intriguing to you, ever, this idea of living a life full of passion, Living a life where you don't give up when the storm comes. Living a life that is full of grit and tenacity. If that's of any interest, let me share with you more about this story. The story goes this way. Jesus says there was a son and there was a dad. The son goes to dad and says, dad, I want my inheritance and I want it right now. So Jesus says that the dad says, here you go. Here's the inheritance. I'll give it to you. You got it? Go. So what he does is the son shames his whole family. He takes all of that, wastes all the money on, as Jesus says, wild living, finds himself homeless and starving. Now, rock bottom is something that many of us know what that feels like. Hopeless. And that's where the son ended up at. So hopeless that he decides, okay, I know what I'm going to do. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back home, but it's not going to really be home anymore. I'm going to go back to my dad, not call him dad anymore. He's going to be my boss. I'm going to go back. I can't be forgiven. If you've ever made a decision, I'm not going to make you raise your hand, but if you've ever made your decision that was completely your fault, you hurt someone else, it was entirely all you, and you were like, well, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to respond to this. I don't know what to do with this. You have this shame kind of come upon you, and you're like, I don't know how to react. 
So Jesus tells a story. This kid didn't know how to react. So what he's going to do is he goes back home and he's like, I'm going to just tell dad I'll work for you. I'm going to work for you the rest of my life and I'll just call you boss and you call me servant. So he goes back. Before he gets to the front porch, before he gets to dad, before he gets to anybody, his dad sees him from afar off and does not run to him with a paddle in hand, (laughs) does not run with several words and a scolding in his mouth. He, He runs after him and puts his arms around him and hugs him. That'll mess with you. Filled with compassion, hugs him. But doesn't just stop with love, unconditional love that is. Doesn't just stop there going, you know what, I love you. Because all of us would agree that we've heard lots of people tell us that they love us, but they did not mean it. He doesn't just stop with, I love you. He connects it to a moment, a powerful moment of generosity. He says, get get the kid a robe and a ring and sandals, and we're going to have an incredible feast, and it's going to be very costly. In fact, by welcoming his son back, meant he would get another inheritance. That'll mess with you. Because some of us are like, well, that's not right. That's not fair. That's not what Jesus is talking about are our rights or what's fair. Some of the unconditional love linked to irrational generosity. Now, let me see a show of hands. Who has ever made a decision that someone disagreed with? Anyone? Okay. A few of you. Just a few of you. Gotcha. Well, that's what happens. I mean, because sometimes this is a beautiful story. Let's make a movie out of this thing, right? Like this love and generosity, this is so sweet. I bet everybody was so happy. No. If you've ever had a brother or a sister, you know what's about to happen. And that's what's about to happen. So Luke 15 unfolds it this way. The older brother became angry. You're like, I knew it. (laughs) It's always the older brother. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. You're like, well, okay. So what's that? That's a tantrum. That is a tantrum in the Bible. If you ever thought, I don't get the Bible. You get that. You get tantrum. So he decides not to go in. Like, well, why wouldn't he go in just on a tantrum? No. Culturally, if you ever ate with somebody, that meant you had reconciled with that person. So the brother's like, I'm not going to go have a meal with my brother. I'm not going to go in there and, and say you're a good person because that means I've reconciled with you and I like you and I don't like you. So he literally stood outside the party, arms probably folded up, mad. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Well, we don't know if that's entirely true. Yet you never gave me even a young goat. I mean, who doesn't want a young goat? You, all of us are like, oh, yeah, wish my dad had given me a goat. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, you catch that, right? This son of yours, not like my brother, means your relative. When your relative, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. I mean, this is a very divisive conversation. Because, you know, we've talked about unconditional love and irrational generosity. How do we treat people? We love them, and anyone and everyone is welcome. That no person's behavior determines a person's value. But you don't just say that you love people. Actions speak louder than words, right? We all agree to that. Like, yes, 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 yes. But don't miss this. The Father has to take a stance. Not only do we love him and are generous to him. Well, watch how he says this. This is the latter part, but we had to. That's a convictional statement. 
I'll read the whole thing. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. But we had to. Anytime you ever say you have to, you need to know that you're revealing a conviction. We do it all the time when we're trying to excuse or explain what's going on. I had to do this. Well, technically you didn't. Technically you could have just sat there and done nothing. But anytime you do something and you say, but I had to do that because you've weighed the options, you've looked at the timing and you've looked at the pressures and you've looked at the cost. You're like, I had to make this decision. If you're a parent, grandparent, employee, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I had to do this. What's profound about this is this is Jesus, the son of God saying, but we had to. In other words, Jesus is saying, I have a conviction for you, church, that he also had. But we had to. In other words, here's the conviction, and he goes straight here. This brother was dead and is alive. He is lost, and now he's found. If you would have known that if Jesus were standing on this stage, and Jesus says, I have a message for you, and it is a conviction of mine, he would tell you, lost people, people who don't know who Jesus is, that's what God is convicted about. Now, does that describe the church you grew up in? See, what Jesus established was, go be the church. Go, in other words, make sure that everybody knows that Jesus is the Savior, the source of hope. What's profound about this story, but we had to, that's convictional. The father, you notice the father doesn't forget that he's dad. I love this story. He doesn't be like, yeah, you're right. I can't believe that kid did that. No. In other words, he says to the older brother, hey, I'm dad. He's my son. And that's how this works. We're family. The church must never forget it's the church. And my fear is churches have forgotten. The church is the source of so much. And in fact, we've got convictional statements as a church. This isn't a preference-driven church. There's convictions. But the church must never forget it's the church. And we must never forget that we're not a social club. Thought there might be an amen. We're not a social club. We're not a group of people trying to assemble because we are perfect or we have it all together. No. The church must never forget it's the church. And so in that, we've got convictions that we live by as a church. So if you're brand new, I'm so glad you are here. Here's the first one. Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. We hold that as a conviction. I mean, there's other sources of temporary hope. You can give yourself hope for a moment, but if you're open to it, if you want hope that can weather any storm, it's Jesus. Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. That's why we're so passionate about Jesus. And so let's go to the next one. Jesus' primary way of reaching the world is through the local church. It's a conviction of this church that the church itself was established by Jesus and that we would do everything possible to let everyone know who Jesus is. There's more convictional statements. The church should become as you are. Some of you are very grateful. This is your first time. You're like, I don't know what to wear to church. And you took a shower and got all prettied up and then you saw what I was wearing. And you're like, that man can't dress. <laughs> we are not a church concerned with what you wore. In fact, let's go this further. Let's go further. Let's go further. We're not concerned with what happened yesterday, what you did last week. We're not so pressed in going, you better measure up before you can come into this place. Church should be, the global church should be, whoever you are, wherever you come from, come on in. 
Be a part of this community. We're not going to measure you up and try to sift you and say, should you, could you, and will we? No. Who you are is a creation of God. So no matter what behavior follows that, we don't weigh that. The church should become as you are. So some of you are like, amen, I'm going to wear my PJs next week. Okay, okay, you can do that. It would be a little weird, but you can do that. There's more convictional statements. The, the most critical stage of life is zero to 18. We believe with all of our hearts that if you're going to focus on a group of people, if, if you're going to do what you need to do to get Jesus to people, then let's focus on zero to 18. And in fact, if we had to, if we had to and we're forced to the decision, we'd cancel everything else and just make sure the zero to 18-year-olds get to hear who Jesus is. Because I would believe, and I think you would as well, that that age is so influential. And you and I probably have our own opinions about how it's going right now globally. But if you don't know this about life, from zero to five years old, you learn more zero to five than you will the rest of your life. And if you and I don't pay attention to these kids and teenagers, who's gonna do it? And Jesus knew this a long time ago. And so we as a church, you know, every time we gather together as a church for, for worship services, we'll always have a kids ministry. Some of you should try it. And so what I'm going to tell you right now, it is one of the greatest decisions as a parent to put your kids in the children's ministry of Fountain Springs Church. And I tell you that because I've got three kids that have walked through it. My three-year-old right now, talks about Jesus in a way that I am baffled. Now, it's not all coherent. <laughs> but I believe that he's learning. The most critical stage of life is zero to 18. That's why we have children's ministry. That's why we send kids to camp. That's why we do everything possible to let them know who Jesus is. Uh, there's more conviction statements. Serving people is the best way to love people. Now, I know some of you have seen different ways to do this, to, to love people. Some, some people think, well, I'm going to stand on the corner of a, of, a, of a road, and I'm going to yell at people, and they are going to know that I love them. I just don't think that's working too well. I, I really believe with all my heart that serving people, serving people is the best way to love people. It's a conviction of ours. That's why I always talk about serving. You know, I get off my back. Well, no, I think serving people is imperative. Jesus himself served people, did miracles, and it Moments literally wash the feet of his disciples. Serving's imperative. Here's another one. Life should never be lived alone. That's a conviction we have. If you feel alone, if you feel like you're the only one, listen, listen, we as a church want to be a part of your life. But that's going to require some vulnerability on your part. But don't, if no one knows about your life and nobody knows what's going on in your life, you need to understand this, that you were built to need other people. You're like, no, David, I, I'm independent. I get that you're independent. And some of you are like, well, I'm introverted and I don't like people at all in any way whatsoever. Uh, it does not change the fact that you and I need people. Here, we'll go even further. Another conviction. The local church is the best investment in the world. You're like, is he, is he talking like money? Yep. I believe with all my heart, we as a church believe that if you're going to put money somewhere, it's putting it through the local church. We're not offended by that personally. And in fact, you can, you can know that through this church, over 300 vehicles are going to get worked on this year. 
And, and you need to know that there's be kids going to camp this year. There's people going to get a meal this year, both here in Rapid City and as far as the Philippines. There's going to be wells dug in Africa. There's going to be kids who get to hear Jesus is, students who get to hear Jesus, who Jesus is. We're going to the Civic Center. There's incredible options to hear who Jesus is. The local church is the best investment in the world. Here's another one. Everything we do should be done as well as we can do it. Well, that can seem at first kind of unspiritual, like, wait a minute, the other one's about kids and teenagers and hope. I'm tired of hearing, well, it's church, so it doesn't matter. No. If you read your Bibles, especially go to the old part, the super old part, the Old Testament part, the amount of detail that was put into simply marching people with instruments around cities, the amount of detail put into constructing the temple and the tabernacles. I believe God is a God of excellence. Just look at creation. I don't think excellence is bad. In fact, for those of you who lead other people, you can hang your hat on the fact that we should do life as well as we can do it. It doesn't mean that we're perfect. Please hear me. It does not mean that we're perfect. These convictions that we have as a church are rooted in unwavering mission. In fact, let's put it this way, to live life, to live life with convictions, be unwavering in your mission. So if you take that whole story, the prodigal son, unconditional love, awesome, irrational generosity, that's amazing. But unwavering mission, I think all of us are aware of people who are like, this is what I'm about, but then the storm happens and we back off a little bit. Many of us even have our own stories of churches who, who used to be thriving and alive, but they aren't anymore. Why? Is it because God didn't want that to happen? I, I would disagree. I would say that mission, unwavering mission is critical to any group of people who call themselves a church. Now, now let, me, let me unpack this a little bit further. Unwavering mission is a church, and, and this will mess with some of us, so just prepare yourself. Sit at ease. You're going to be okay. Sometimes unwavering requires uprooting, as in moving. Now, now let me example this. I think most of us or some of us know who Corey and Corey are. Do you, do you know that? Okay. Yeah, give it up, Juan. You, you at least recognize the beard. You're like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Corey used to be on staff with us and would lead us right here on, on this stage. Uh, but a while ago, God kind of knocked on his heart, saying, I got something for you. It's about a mission I'm going to send you on, and you're going to have to uproot and so if you don't know this, Corey and Corey are about to move to Portland. And their agenda is that people in Portland will know who Jesus is. And so I wanted you to hear from them because some of us sometimes, the unwavering, to be literally unwavering means you got to uproot. And so uh, Corey and Corey, simple question. Portland, we've seen the TV show. Uh, I guess some people haven't seen the TV show. So... Portland. Why Portland? Um, yeah, I think for, for us, it's very mission-driven. Um, there's been a lot of following um, in recent history over the last 10 years of this growing group of people in the U.S. that we're declaring as nuns. And that's not a nun like the Catholic Church, but a nun like people who are declaring on their census no religious affiliation at all. And that group in the U.S. is growing. Um, last year, in Portland, more than any other major city in the U.S., more 
people per capita declared none as their religious affiliation than anywhere else in the U.S. So Portland is in desperate need uh, of churches, of people sharing Jesus and bringing that. I, I, and some of you would, would know my story, but for me, um, my family is first-generation Christian. I remember when my parents became believers. I remember when my parents started following Jesus, and I remember how drastically our life changed. Life was pretty rough in my house before Jesus, um, and I remember all that change, and it started with a couple um, named Alan and Lois that began inviting us into their house. As rough as we were, and as messed up as my family was, it just started with a relationship. Um, and so I want to be able to go. We want to be able to go to Portland and share that gospel story with people through the way that we live it out in neighborhoods and in homes and among the people of Portland. And my hope is, my desire is, is that, and this is to me, this is worth giving my life to. My desire is, is that we can change that statistic even just a little bit. If I look back on my life and that stat changes just ever so slightly, that's worth it to me because that's a lot of people that are coming into encountering with Jesus. So, yeah. Yeah, David, you were talking about uprooting and Corey and I uprooted to come here to South Dakota and that was a really big culture shock. But um, <laughs> we, we, we came here and um, what I learned from Fountain Springs and the people from Fountain Springs is that you guys truly do love unconditionally and you accepted us um, in our skinny jeans. And um, I'm so excited to bring that to Portland and to bring everything we've learned here um, about accepting everybody as they are um, and who they are. And I just want to thank David and Katie for like teaching that and ingraining that in us so we can bring it to the people of Portland. And if I, if I could say, like, the big piece for me in, in being able to work with David and serve with David over the last, I guess it's been almost three years, um, it's been really cool over the, to watch David's heart and his focus um, for the Black Hills and the people of the Black Hills. And, 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 I, and that's something I want to learn and we want to take to Portland. Church planting is not about a church. It's not about making it, taking and growing a church big. It's about a people. So reaching the people of Portland and loving the people of Portland and bringing the message of Jesus to the people of Portland. And the church is the result of that. When we plant the gospel in places, when we bring the love of Jesus to people, um, the, the church is in the result of that. And the, so the growth of Fountain Springs Church is not because of some great plan. The growth of Fountain Springs Church is because you all keep showing people who Jesus is, and then the church grows as a result of that. Um, and we've learned that here. We've learned that here. Um, and that's, that's the heartbeat. That's the passion. That's the desire that we want to walk into this very, very unchurched city and live that out and see people know Jesus. So folks are interested in either trying skinny jeans and <laughs> going to Portland or, or just want to know more information, want to connect more. Okay, I want to learn more, follow even. What do they do? Yeah, I mean, we're in really, really early stages, so there's no name for the church yet. Uh, there's no, like, established website, but I have set up a domain. Uh, so www.supportland, that's support for Portland, nice, uh, supportland.church. You may not know this, but .church is the new .com, all right? So uh, supportland.church, and if you bring that up on your phone or your computer, if you go to that domain, it'll just bring up a form in front of you where you can put your name and your email and your phone number if you you want, uh, and I'd love to keep you in the loop of everything that's going on uh, as, as we progress through this journey. There's going to be all kinds of crazy stories of stuff that God is going to be doing in us and through us and around us, and we would love to be able to share those with you as we go. And so thank you, um, church, for sending us and supporting us and being behind us in this. It really, really means so much to us to know that we have this body of people behind us as we go. Awesome. Let me, let me pray for you. God, I, I just... Uh, I continually want to come to you and ask that your favor 
beyond what Corey and Corey are about to go do. There are folks who will go with them. There are folks there who are even awaiting. God, I pray that you will give them a favor that doesn't even make sense, relationships that don't make sense. But God, most importantly, I believe you love the people in Portland more than any of us do. And I pray that you will draw them into you and use Corey and Corey and their team however you want. But God, I pray that you will grab a hold of Portland and change the trend of people not knowing who you are. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks, guys. We're proud of you. So, like I said, some of you are like Portland, skinny jeans, no way, not uprooting, not doing it. And, and, that, and that's why I told you sometimes. There's that sometimes where that's an important word. Because we're not all called to go to the same place and do the same thing. Otherwise, well, we'd run out of room. <laughs> and there's people all over the globe. And so let me tell you about here. See, sometimes unwavering requires rooting in, as in digging in your heels, as in not just treating where you live as a place that you live, as a place that you own. Rather than this city just being a city and this region just being a region, it's your city. It's your region. It's, it's your place. And in fact, perhaps you might believe that God put you here, whether you were born here, brought here, accidentally ended up here, or have no clue why you're here. Maybe you're here not by accident, but God intends for you to root in so that people in this region will know who Jesus is. There are 142,000 people within 25 miles of me right now. According to the census, there were 42,000 nuns who said no faith. No faith whatsoever. Then you add to that the folks who marked a faith because grandma would have been mad if they hadn't. We know in our own Black Hills region, there are many, many people who don't know who Jesus is. And so as a church, we find that unacceptable. And it is a passion and a heart even deeper than that, a conviction that the entire Black Hills region at least get to hear who Jesus is. So what we're doing is this. We're launching another location. I told you about that. It's the east location. So let me show you some pictures. This time it has windows. So you're like, big deal. Okay, whatever. You go into the kids' lobby. There's a kids' entrance, kids' lobby. It looks absolutely amazing. Uh, there's kids' space, elementary space. It's really big, tons of room. Uh, the volunteers will love and the kids where there's a next steps area that will remove the X's. Anyone and everyone is welcome there. But uh, there's a lobby, and right there's a coffee shop for those of you who are addicted, like myself. Uh, auditorium entrance we'll walk in. We have multiple doors that lead into an absolutely amazing auditorium with plenty of space. It's going to be an incredible space. And then the video teaching at the East location, just like at the prison location, there will be video teaching. We will not have a separate preacher there. It will be a virtually realistic teaching where you have to deal with me even more. But you will sit there and your brain will get tricked. I dare you to try me on this. We as a church believe with all of our hearts and are convicted that anyone and everyone know who Jesus is. And so we are rooting in having a west location, an east location, a prison location. And as I've told you already, we're looking at the jail and other environments where we can go in and show people who Jesus is. We believe with all of our hearts that what Jesus told us is critical. So I'll take you back to the Mark verse. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. In other words, love God 
with everything you got, with tenacity, with passion, with grit. Love God with conviction. And I'll tell you this about you. I think you are so important. You are so valuable to God. I believe it with all my heart. And I also believe that the people who don't know who Jesus is are as valuable as us. And we've got to do something.